Let's uh, look at our Bibles again at uh, chapter 12 of Genesis, Genesis 12 from verse 10 uh, to verse 20, a detour from uh, the walk of faith. After the, the trip to Sea Life on, on Saturday, I, I nipped into Tesco to get a few things, and uh, on the way out, uh, when I looked at the bundle of paper receipts that I got, uh, there was one very interesting one. It went like this. You are entitled to a 50 pence refund at your next visit to Tesco because the items you bought were available at a cheaper price elsewhere. That's amazing. I don't know if you've ever had anything like that. But it's like a lawyer telling you that he has overbilled you <laughs> and is going to refund you. It's amazing. Tesco are saying... Other people are giving you things that we sell at a cheaper price. Next we know they'll be giving dairy farmers a a proper return for their milk. I hope that it works. I hope that uh, Tesco keep it up. That it's not simply a a cynical marketing ploy. I suspect that it might be. uh, Because it's a good thing and it, it strikes the right note. It's being honest. Uh, it's, it's showing a bit of integrity and it's the kind of thing that could even encourage uh, a return visit the world is looking for integrity the world is looking for integrity in the Christian you can't divorce faith in Jesus Christ from honest dealing with other people and ally to that honest admission when we mess up when we don't do things right, candidly acknowledging that. Now if Tesco can do that then surely the believer uh, should not be found wanting. Sadly we are looking at a time in Abram's life now when Abram is found wanting. Abram is called the man of faith in the Bible. He's the great Example of what it is to live by faith. He trusted God even when there was no tangible evidence of God's uh, promise. When God commanded him to leave all that was familiar to him, he did. And he made off for the land of Canaan. Uh, We saw that he exemplifies the life of faith in that Uh, the most solid things Abraham has seen building are altars. He builds altars, but he lives in tents. The Christian life as well is one in which we are called to build solidly in the things of God and sit loose to material things. And here we have this, it's a perplexing incident. I hope you you felt that as we, we read it. You know, what's going on here? It's not supposed to be like this. And one of the wonderful things of the Bible is that the Bible uh, tells it as it is. Just as uh, Cromwell was supposed to have told uh, his official uh, painter to paint him warts and all, we have portraits of the heroes and heroines of the Bible painted warts and all. Uh, There's no whitewashing, there's no uh, airbrushing out the unfortunate, uh, less praiseworthy aspects of their biographies. This is one of these stories that you and I may have been tempted to airbrush out of Abram's story. 
Uh, it's a story of meandering away from uh, the beating heart of God's love. It's a story of the folly that inevitably follows. But it's, above all, a story of the grace of God, even to those of us who know only too well that we are uh, like, or much worse indeed, than Abram. Our faith shakes from time to time. We are less than consistent, less than candid with others. And yet, God bears with us. He is faithful to us. So, Abram left Canaan. He left Canaan. He came into a time of famine and left Canaan. When you've been a Christian for uh, even a, a short time, you learn all too clearly that being a Christian doesn't mean that you're going to be preserved from the knocks and the hardships of life. Uh, we're very quickly uh, disabused of the idea that it's going to be an easy road. It's not going to be an easy road. And this is a case in point. Chapter 12, the beginning of chapter 12, records God's call on Abram and the promises of blessing that are given to Abram. Uh, he is called to leave his country and everything that's familiar to him and he obeys God. He obeys God in a wonderful way. Uh, he leaves Ur of the Chaldees. Uh, they stop in Haran. And when his father and his father's household will not go any further, Abraham goes on into Canaan. He's the epitome of obedience. And you're expecting something positive to happen. We've been told that Sarai uh, was barren. She was without child. Abraham's obeyed God. Surely, surely Sarah's going to have a child. We're going to hear... Uh, happy news. Why? Because Abram's been obedient and we're instinct, we instinctively think that good works will always be rewarded by God. But God uh, is too careful to guard uh, the, the graciousness of his dealings to cement in our own thinking this idea that uh, you, you put in your ten pence of good works and out comes the chocolate of the world. <coughs> and so often God will delay his rewards. They will not, he will not allow them to fall hard on the heels of our obedience because that is simply to encourage our works righteousness mentality. And so it is with Abram, having been obedient to God, having obeyed God, he runs into a famine. Now, there was a famine in the land. There was a famine in the land. Canaan is a fertile country, but it's dependent upon the rains. One of the things which God said to the people of Israel when they would go into Canaan was that he would be the God who would provide their fruitfulness because he would give the rains. But where there are no rains, the land dries up, the crops wither. Egypt, on the other hand, is irrigated by the Nile and the Nile is fed by uh, streams and rivers from the Ethiopian highlands so that uh, it is a reliable source of irrigation water for the fertile flat lands in the delta of Egypt we have <coughs> Moses leaving a, a famine a drought induced famine in Canaan to go down to Egypt 
And it's a kind of recurring theme in the Old Testament. Uh, we see that later on when uh, the, the children of Israel uh, will go down, children of Jacob will go down to Egypt because of a famine in the land. And Joseph has been raised up to provide for them. And then later on, uh, they'll return. They'll come out of Egypt under Moses and they'll enter into the, the land of Canaan. And in the New Testament, Matthew will see Jesus uh, recapping the life of Israel. And he will use the words of God in Hosea, Out of Egypt have I called my son. And applies them to, to Jesus, the true Israel, returning after the flight from Herod into Egypt. But the point of application for us here is that in a different way, we can experience famine situations in our own lives. Not famines that lead us necessarily to to be wanting food, but situations which come and test us as to whether we're willing to trust God through them. Famine experiences uh, hit us suddenly, such as times when we get that uh, notification through the, the mail that tells us you're no longer needed in the workplace. Or when we, we, we get the result of a test which tells us that we are going to have to cope with an ongoing debilitating illness. Or some sadness occurs in the family circle and leaves us feeling devastated. Or something takes place uh, in a relationship with our neighbours with whom we've had good relations and suddenly things are soured. And we come across a famine situation. Something unexpected happens and it saps our energies and it so preoccupies our thinking that our spiritual life feels paralysed. Now when we're in one of these situations, when we're in a situation like any of these which would rather avoid, like anything, there comes a test as to whether we're going to rely upon God to see us through or whether we're going to follow our own devices, whether we're going to be worldly wise in our response to this, or whether we're going to actually respond with faith. Now, there, there is a question uh, about whether it was the godly thing for Abraham to go down to, to Egypt. It would be much easier if, if uh, Moses actually told us it was a bad thing that Abraham went down to Egypt. We're not told that. Uh, but my... My feeling is that that it was a failure on Abram's part that he did. A number of reasons for that. One of them is that there is no word from God for Abram to go down into Egypt. The very expression to go down to Egypt is often used uh, in terms of a a lack of faith. uh, To go down to Egypt and to get chariots and horses uh, was to show a reliance upon one of the superpowers for defence rather than upon God. And the consequent actions, Abram's decision-making when he goes down to Egypt, would tend to reinforce the view that he was not walking close to God when he made this decision. Abram seems to have taken counsel not from God but from his fears. He pushed the panic button. He went down to Egypt as a solution to his famine situation. Think in contrast of the 
the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, who went into the wilderness, led by God, who faces 40 days of hunger. And though he has the power to change stones into bread, he knows that that is outside the will of God and resists the temptation. And we have a test in different challenging situations of life. How do I respond to this? Do I respond to it relying upon God and his provision? Or am I going to take things into my own hands? Do I fail to pray over this? Do I fail to take counsel from the word of God and from other Christians? Do I just do what seems to be the worldly wise thing to do? God sets us into these difficult situations to test us, to make us stronger. Leaving the path of faith because life has become difficult uh, shows itself in different ways. Uh, We can let our devotional life dry up. We lose contact with Christian friends. Uh, We can become more absorbed in our worldly concerns because we're no longer living in dependence, daily dependence upon God. Our focus has moved away from Christ. Uh, we're becoming instinctively more reliant upon ourselves and our own natural abilities. And then there comes the other test. Are we going to put others first, even if it means hurting ourselves? Will we act out of faith or out of fear? Very quickly, this test comes to Abram. Having left, having made the decision to leave Canaan and go down to Egypt... Uh, one form of pressure is removed from him. He no longer has the, the, the worry about how he is going to find his next meal. He's going down to the breadbasket of the Middle East. He'd no longer be compelled uh, to, to see uh, his, his uh, flesh fading away before his eyes. There's food in Egypt. Egypt is a nice place to live. More comfortable down there than living in a tent. Egyptians are nice, cultured people. Climate's great. One set of worries is dealt with. But as Abraham passes through border control, another problem raises its face, appears to him. What's going to happen to Sarah? Now, it might seem strange uh, to our ears that uh, Abraham would worry about his 65-year-old wife being thought of as such uh, a beauty that uh, she was going to draw the eye of the Egyptians. Part of the solution probably lies in the fact that our ideas of what is beautiful are different from what ancient civilizations, and it seems the Egyptians thought was beautiful. Uh, We tend to think in terms of of, uh, uh, very thin uh, supermodels. Sarai, at her age, had more matronly looks, may have appealed uh, to uh, those in her day. Certainly, Abraham had good cause to feel that the Egyptians uh, would take an interest in her, and he became worried. He's thinking to himself, they'll see Sarah, they'll want her for a wife, they'll think nothing of killing me, so that the way is open for taking her. And that preyed on his mind. And once again, he has a choice, Uh, Will he go the way of integrity and thereby possibly risk death? 
Or will he come up with some smart plan which may compromise his faith in his Lord? He tells Sarah, Tell him you're my sister so that I'll be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. Sounds wretched, doesn't it? Now, he may not have absolutely been intent on simply handing uh, Sarah over to the, the first Egyptian gorilla that came uh, wanting her. He may have been intent on assuming the responsibilities of a brother towards her and, and therefore giving himself, in the eyes of the Egyptian, a responsibility uh, of, of guarding her. But in any case, it's very difficult uh, to make out uh, a case for Abram that really absolves him from a great deal of, of wrong in this situation. He's acted the coward. It's quite clear. He's acted cowardly. And in the process, he's denied God the opportunity to glorify himself in it. He's seeking his life. He wants to be preserved in the midst of it all. Jesus said whoever would save his life will lose it. And there's a good example here of that working out in day-to-day living. And in the event, it's the most powerful man in the world that takes Sarah. Pharaoh brings her uh, into the royal harem. Imagine what that was like for Sarah. How bad did she feel as a result of this? She's become an object to be traded her husband isn't even willing to stand up for her. She's become a trophy wife uh, of Pharaoh. All because Abram has wandered from the path of faith. And when we, when we leave God's way, when we begin to compromise, when we tell white lies to cover over our, our, our path, we not only damage our own witness... But very often, we hurt other people in the process. There's collateral damage. And Sarah is certainly uh, damaged in this incident. And the, the life of faith, the life of the believer, is continually being confronted with decisions, which, uh, you know, there's, there's a, a fork in the road com- continually. Uh, am I going to go God's way uh, and, and take the flag? Am I going to suffer with God's people? Or am I going to seek the way of self-preservation? The way that involves compromise. The the way that involves turning my back on being unambiguously one of Jesus' people. But might save my skin as 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 a consequence. And the life of the believer is continually choosing Jesus' way. Going outside the camp with him. Sharing his reproach. Taking the flack that may come upon us now the other part if Sarah was hurt by Abram's failure Pharaoh was also uh, hurt, he was implicated in Abram's backsliding and his household with him God was not going to allow Sarah to be defiled in this way and so he uh, poured out what are simply referred to as Sidi's diseases on Pharaoh because of her whatever they were they made Pharaoh asked questions and eventually led him to discovering Abram's deception. What have you done to me? Why did you not tell me she was your wife? Why did you say 
she is my sister, so that I took her to be my wife. Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. But I come down for Abram, the man of faith. He was speaking uh, with more righteousness than Abraham had been acting. Now, okay, Abraham could have argued it out with Pharaoh. She really is my half-sister. It's quite right what I was saying. But it was an act of deception. It was a totally ungodly position to have come into. Abraham, the man through whom all the nations of the world are to be blessed, founder of the people of Israel, the one from whose line the Messiah, Jesus, will spring. He's brought disaster on Pharaoh and the Egyptians who give him shelter. He's brought reproach on his wife. He's allowed himself to be rebuked by a pagan because he was unwilling to suffer for the Lord's sake. And so he leaves Egypt with his tail between his legs. Get out of my sight, Pharaoh tells him. You're a stranger to the truth. You're bad news around here. Get out before you do any more harm. And Abram has to leave. Morally speaking, he's been tarred and feathered by Pharaoh. Now, if you've ever been rebuked for being unrighteous by someone who's not a believer, you'll know how how bad that that feels. Now, there's a a right way and there's a wrong way to respond if you're in that situation. The the wrong way is to try to to belittle your mistake, to try and to rationalise it out, to defend yourself. That's pathetic and gets you nowhere, especially if on top of that you start to witness to them. And the right way is to acknowledge your failure and to pray that God will bless that unbeliever And that later on, some Christian will come with a more consistent witness. Or perhaps you yourself will have an opportunity uh, to share the gospel again. But to acknowledge freely, uh, you're wrong. And if we'd only think of these consequences when uh, we're inclined to go off God's truth and to save our own skin and to compromise with the world, we only think of the consequences, then uh, we might be preserved from uh, the great mistake. We rob God of his glory when we do these things. When we suffer for Christ, when we are willing uh, to be misunderstood, uh, willing to be uh, defrauded or spoken uh, ill of for Jesus' sake, then uh, we bring glory to God others take notice they are attracted to the Lord however I want uh, to finish not with the the thought of Abram's failure in our minds but I want us to to reflect on the fact that in all of this there is a gracious God uh, in Abram's story God is ultimately bigger than our mistakes he remains faithful even when we prove faithless. Is it tremendous that we have this story of Abram uh, and uh, it's the story Abram continues to be God's man. 
continues to be the, the, the channel through whom God will bring blessing on the world. Psalm 103 tells us, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers we are dust. God had compassion on Abram. God knew that Abram was of the dust. Uh, one of the, the things that, that we have to learn as parents is to, to let our children uh, grow through their own mistakes. Uh, we deal with them differently when they're 16 than we do when they are 6. They learn the difference between uh, right and wrong. They, they learn of the consequences of spiritual failure. As they mature as Christians, uh, they will be uh, less inclined to wander off into dead ends and, and, and know the, the, the danger and the hurt. And we keep faith with them. And we give them encouragement and guidance. And they will be stronger. And we see God acting as the, the strong and faithful father towards Abraham. Uh, how his father in heart must have been grieved to see uh, his, his choice son, Abraham, behave in this way in Egypt. God never deserted Abraham. And God not only preserves Abraham, but he wards off all those who would molest his wife, Sarah, and Abraham himself. Dale Ralph Davis, the, the writer, uh, writes, some people put a sign up over the garden gate saying, beware the dog. God hangs a sign over his people uh, that says, beware the flock. He guards us. He, he wards off those uh, who would, would, uh, would damage and hurt us. Paul writes, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, and we can add to that with our own folly, our own stupidity, our own uh, crass mistakes. We are going into a week, and we don't know what lies ahead for us. And in this week, it may be uh, that there will be some kind of famine, some kind of testing experience for us. How do we respond to that? Will we respond uh, with faith, trusting in the provision of God, or with self-reliance? And perhaps we'll make a mistake in the coming week, and we will have a wobble like Abraham did. We can trust God uh, to remain with us, uh, even in our own foolishness. He will never desert us. In the closing days of Hudson Taylor's life, Hudson Taylor was uh, a great pioneer uh, missionary to China. And he lived through the, the Boxer Rebellion uh, when there was great bloodshed. Many Christian missionaries were killed and others had to, to flee. It seemed for Taylor at one point that everything for which he had given his life was crumbling before his eyes. Uh, there was one particularly black day when some of uh, Hudson Taylor's friends came in and they were a bit concerned as to what kind of reception they were going to get, how, uh, what frame of mind they would find uh, Taylor because of the distressing news 
that had come? Would it be too much for the old man? He spent the morning in his house alone, and when they came to see him in the afternoon, uh, troubled at what they uh, might find, they heard singing as they approached his house, and he was singing the hymn uh, that he always sang when reverses and trouble came. Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what thou art. I am finding out the greatness of thy loving heart. Thou hast bade me gaze upon thee, and thy beauty fills my soul. For by thy transforming power, thou hast made me whole. The tailor had discovered that the secret of coming through famine situations was to find our all in Jesus. To find him as the bread of life. To find our stability and our staying power in resting in him. May we find that attitude whether or not we meet with the famine in the coming days. Amen. May God bless to us uh, his holy word.